previously on The Improv, and the reason that got the name Improvisation, and Bud has this in his book, it's where the singers could come in, again, 1963, 1964, and improvise. But that's what they were doing. They were going after the Broadway shows closed. They were going out for dinner, drinks, that sort of thing. And Bud overheard the other actors in the show saying, wow, you know, in Chicago, we go to this place and we get to go up and sing. And Bud realized there wasn't anything like that in New York City. Especially Isn't that strange? The, Isn't that yeah. strange? There'd be nothing like that in New York City at the time? But the ones who hung around at that time were, like John Stewart, I remember uh, Rosie O'Donnell, Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, Sarah Silverman. They were all just hanging around. Welcome to What's So Funny, a comedy podcast where we talk about some of the most influential and controversial comedians from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh. Here's your host, Dave Swanson. Hi, welcome back to What's So Funny. I'm your host, Dave Schwenson. I'm here today with my co-host, Tom McGallis, and we're going to continue our discussion about the uh, Improv Comedy Club. Jeez, this is like a two-parter. I'm excited. I've never been part of a two-parter. <laughs> <laughs> now, you met Bud. He was in, already in L.A. because he left for L.A. in 75, right? I think something around that time, yes. Yeah, I, again, before... Before your time. What's interesting is the... The um, he probably wanted to go west because Carson. I think the, the they say the entertainment business kind of went west when Carson left in seventy two. Well, Johnny Carson was always the big one. Yeah, the big that's, boy, right? That's the, 70, the one yeah. everybody. If you got on Johnny Carson's show, I mean, you were made. They filmed the Tonight Show uh, live at that time. It was at Thirty Rock, you know, where they have Saturday Night Live now. Pretty, I'm trying to remember who the talent coordinator was for the Johnny Carson, but he was, you know, regular at the improv. That's where they're finding the comics. They would come over and showcase, and you could get on the Johnny Carson show. Yeah, around 73, was it? Something like that, 72. 72, they left. Yeah, the Tonight Show went west, and that's when it started becoming Shifted. apparent. Yeah, the, the comics who were regulars at the New York Improv, like Jay Leno, Andy Kaufman, and Freddie Prinze, these guys headed west because they wanted to be on The Tonight Show. And that's a lot of things, too. I've, I've learned from talking to these comics. And I'll mention, like, even Drew Carey, Jeff Foxworthy. I remember talking to those guys because they had, Drew had a great career going in the Midwest, you know, around Cleveland. And Jeff was based in Atlanta. And I'm pretty sure they both told me that they had to move to Los Angeles to get on The Tonight Show. Makes sense. The big platform. Yeah, the story was he liked Los Angeles and Silver did not. So she chose to go back to New York. She's a New York gal, theater gal. Yeah. So I think that was the, the thing that, that split them up. And she took over the New York club and, and Bud had the Hollywood club. I heard Bud Friedman was looking for an assistant. And I called. Oh. And I met Bud once. I'd met him once at the New York club. I don't, he would not have remembered that. But I was very impressed. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's Bud Friedman with the monocle and everything else. And he came into the New York improv to watch a show. And I, at the New York Improv, I was still setting up showcases for like The Tonight Show. Even though they were out in Los Angeles, uh, their talent coordinator, Jim McCauley, would come to New York to look at comics. And, you know, just the David Letterman show and HBO and MTV, they were all coming in still. We were still doing a lot of showcases in New York. I moved out to Hollywood. Well, that was another explosion in many ways. I mean, a lot of new people that you saw from like, you know, Dane Cook. 
Sarah Silverman, all these people that were uh, starting to explode at that time as well. So Yeah, my head exploded because I had to buy a car. In New York, I got to ride the subway <laughs> in a taxi. <laughs> all of a sudden, I had to drive again. Oh, man, I feel uh, bad for you. <laughs> but yeah, it was a thrill for me to go to the Hollywood Improv, the one on Melrose Avenue. And now this was, again, you know, Silver had the New York Club, Bud had the L.A. Club. And I heard he was looking for an assistant. A friend of mine who worked for Jeopardy at that time, was doing the questions for Jeopardy, called me up, said, hey, I just saw in uh, such and such that, that Bud's looking for an assistant. So I called over there, and I spoke to his secretary, Fran, who was also his cousin. And everybody loved Fran. And again, the older comedians will know exactly who I'm talking about. She set up an interview. said, okay, we'll come in and meet Bud. I remember it was the, you know, I can't remember what day it was, a Friday or something. Anyway, when I went and meet Bud for my interview, Jay Leno sat with us. Mm, he was screening you as well. <laughs> well, Bud used to be Jay's manager. These guys were tight, Bud and Jay Leno. And so when I sat down at a table, I was nervous enough to meet Bud, and here Jay Leno pulls up a chair and sits down, and they both start quizzing me. Now, I do know that Jay Leno had was driving to from Boston to do shots, you know, at the New York Improv. Oh, yeah. And, and he was so, and I think that impressed Bud a lot, that Jay was driving, making these drives, I think he was working for like a, a car place at the time, but he would drive to do these and then drive back to Boston, drive in, you know, to be part of the improv and to get on stage. Yeah, he would drive back and forth, round trip from Boston to New York City and work that next day at a car dealership or at whatever At a Rolls-Royce uh, dealership or something, you know. So he was delivering cars. As you put it, that's focus, determination, and commitment to your craft. Well, that's one thing I want to say to the younger comedians that listen to this too. I've never met an overnight success in my life working in the comedy business. And the ones who did make it, and there's many more who did not make it, okay? They played the improv, you never heard of them. But the ones who did always seemed to me to be so dedicated. They had no other choice. There was nothing else for them to do. And they would sleep in cars. They would couch surf. They would do whatever they could. Whatever it took, whatever it took. And Jay Leno was a perfect example, driving round trip from Boston to New York. He did it, I don't know how many nights in a row. And finally he's standing there and he asked Bud, at the New York, can, I, can I go on? I kind of drove down from Boston. He goes, you drive from Boston? You've been here every night for a whole week. Did you drive round trip every night? And Jay says, yeah. Bud says, you go on next. And I think that that probably stuck with him, didn't it? And now here, Jay's in a room now with you for the interview. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was pretty exciting, I'll be honest with you. I'm like, this is crazy. I did get hired as, as Bud's assistant. And so I really got to know the whole LA scene then. Here I came out of New York, I felt I was a real New Yorker, and now here I was in LA at the Hollywood Improv and just- Was it run differently? You know, I'm gonna say yes and no. It was more flash, it was more Hollywood. I mean, the restaurant was more, real food. <laughs> then we had finger food or kind of stuff at the, at the New York Improv. And the showroom was much larger, but still it was the same thing. It was a showcase club where you could see, you know, 15, we would put up 15, 16 comics a night. You know, we just run the show for as long as there's an audience. A lot of it too would be, you know, see who's hanging around. It gets to be midnight, who's hanging around in the back. You want to go up and do five minutes? You want to do seven minutes? Of course, we'd schedule the established stars for earlier in the evening or the weekend shows. There was a little rivalry going on because there had been another comedy club out there called The Comedy Store. Yeah. Mitz, Mitzi's Comedy Store, right? Mitzi yeah. Shores. Yeah. Uh, Polly Shore's mother. But it was actually started by Sammy Shore, who was a comedian, a Vegas type of comedian. I think he used to open for like uh, Elvis Presley and all this. And he was friends with Bud. 
and he would come to the New York club and perform. And I think he asked Bud at one time, he says, you know, think about doing what you're doing here, the improv in New York. I'd like to do that in Los Angeles. So my friends and I had someplace we can get up and perform and work on our new material and just hang out, have a bar, we can hang out. And Bud said, yeah, go ahead, do it, you know? Go ahead, do it, I'm not out there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and, and something happened. There was a divorce there too, and Mitzi got the club. Sammy gave her the club and he took off to be a comedian. And all of a sudden she turned this club into a, a profit deal and started booking comedians similar to what they was doing, Bud was doing at the Improv in New York. Same thing. It was the same formula. And um, yeah, I think actually, you know, and when Bud first came out there, I think she was very nice to him and he saw a show or something like that. But then he opened his club and all of a sudden, oh man, it was not good. Yeah, a big rivalry, right? If you played the store, you didn't, you know, you didn't play the Improv, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's like you pick it. And if you found out, if you were playing, doing the store, then you found it, right? You were like, not, no, nah, you can you can sit here at the bar all night. We're not going to put you on. Yes. There were wow. certain ones who could do it, of course, that were already kind of famous. I'm pretty sure David Letterman might have gone back and forth. But there was a strike. Do you remember the strike thing yes. that happened? Well, again, that, before my time. Yeah, yes. that was before, but that was in 79, 78? 79, yeah, yeah, somewhere around there, 1980. Wow. The yeah. story was, I mean, they were doing big business, the comedy store. And I think they had, but she was kind of paying, you mentioned Jackie Mason before. I think he might've been one of them. Some of these older guys would come in and she would pay them whatever they made at the door, the ticket price. So they got paid. However, the young comedians at that time out there, and Jay Leno being one of them, Tom Dreesen being another one, I can't think of some of the other names, they were packing the place too, but they mm-hmm. weren't getting paid. They weren't getting any part of the door at all. So they, they did a big New Year's Eve show at the comedy store, packed the place. And it was all these young comics at that time. And afterwards, of course, New Year's Eve, they're all pumped up. It was a great night. They all went around to the diner. I think it's Cantor's Diner. Uh, we used to go to that. It was kind of around the corner, down the street, whatever. But they're all sitting around eating, talking about a great night it was. And one of the comics who performed that night leaned over to Jay or Tom Dreesen and said, can I borrow five bucks to get a sandwich? And they're like, they realized they did all this work and Mitzi's making all this money. And they weren't getting paid. Not sharing any, any of the profit there. Yeah. yeah. So they went over and talked to her and said, you know, we should at least get a percentage of something. And she threw a fit, threw them out. <laughs> so yeah, it, it went on. It turned out there was a big a strike. I mean, the comedians were actually out on the Sunset Strip, you know, Hollywood Boulevard with their picket signs. And I, I wonder what the settlement, the, the, you know, I can't remember what, what they, I don't even see it posted, what they agreed on. At some point it was an agreement what happened was, I mean, you know, Bud was going to pay the comics. I think he'd already started doing that in New York. Because when I was at New York, they were giving comics at least, they call it car fare or something. Not that much. Well, here's, come, here's from the management point of view, which was I was always behind the scenes. Okay, management. We're doing these shows and you as, and I tell this to the comics I work with in my workshops. They're new. They're starting out. Well, how much money am I going to make? When am I going to get paid? I'm like, you know, you got to do this for a few years before you get it. It's going to cost you money to do this because you've got, you're not good right now. What's your product? What product are you putting out? Who's going to pay to see you because you're not good right now. You've got to get good. So these clubs, these open mic clubs are actually giving you, they're doing you a favor. I agree with that. They're letting you get on stage to fail, to succeed, and, you know, put your act together and you're not getting paid, but you don't have to pay, like, to go to school to do this. You're learning. You're gonna, And that's how I always looked at it. Even like at the New York Improv with those, my gosh, those legendary comedians hanging around the bar talking. You're a new comic. You sit there. You're part of the scene. You're learning. How they're putting together these jokes. And I mean, even the books I've written, 
I don't make this stuff up. <laughs> you know, it's what the comics told me they do. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is brilliant. And the thing is, too, there was always the opportunity to be discovered. I mean, once Bill Cosby got his sitcom in the 80s, I mean, comedians were hot. Tim Allen, Jerry Seinfeld, Brett Butler, Margaret Cho, you know. I mean, Robin, Robin Williams exploded. Yeah, you they know, all the got time. their own TV series. The thing was, they realized that the owners were making a lot of money, and these comics were getting nothing for doing all that work. However, they weren't asking for a lot either because they understood how the process. They could get discovered by The Tonight Show, be on national television the next week, and their careers explode. But they needed something. Give me some, give me cab fare. Or give me, you know, gas fare, you know, so 25 bucks, 50 bucks, maybe at the most in some place. I know Bill Burr used to talk about he'd bounce around, bounce around 50 bucks, 50 bucks and pay his rent. Those weekend shows of the Hollywood Improv, I mean, come on, it would go from Jay Leno to Bill Maher to Roseanne to Margaret Cho to Dave Chappelle to Drew Carey. I mean, then you're seeing one after another, after another, after another. It's all, yeah, blue chip comics. You know, so they, (laughs) and and the thing was, the pay wasn't that much. Matter of fact, I always laughed because some of those comics... The checks would come out, I think, like on Tuesday. There'd be a box, like a shoebox full of everyone's checks. To be... A lot of these guys didn't even pick them up, okay? Yeah, they, were, they, were they just, just left there. them there. 100 bucks, 200 bucks, it, you know, whatever it was. But it's just, yeah, but that's, the, re- that's the respect they had for Bud because he Keep respected by paying them. And he's the one that broke it. He said, I'll, you know, he was going to pay. But yeah, even like with the improv and stuff, I mean, they would feed the comics too. You know, if you did a set, you got to have dinner. And I knew, for a fact, this is probably the only time of the day, <laughs> this day, that that guy ate anything, you know, because he's sleeping in his car. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's the kind the... of dedication. But the one thing that happened to the improv while this uh, strike thing was going on, it burned down. It yeah, man, the big fire. Now, and, and was was that, uh, I can't remember, it was it arson? Yes. It was It was arson. I was proven we, later it was arson. We don't know who, who did it, though, right? I think... People kind of they, think they know. They I'm not going to say anything. It's we been speculate. speculated. <laughs> there was not good blood between different people and different things going on. Matter of fact, one uh, potential one aspiring comedian back there, I think on his deathbed, he confessed to doing it. Really? But again, I, I'm not going to – that's not my business. All I'll say is it burned down. It was proven to be arson. And Bud was just – he was going to be out of business. I mean, that was his club, you know? And here – his, his, he'd gone through a divorce. His daughters, Zoe and Beth, were living with their mom in New York. He's by himself in Hollywood. And here's his main thing. His passion burned down. And that's the one right on Melrose at the one same on Melrose one. Avenue. Yeah, okay. And what happened was... In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Again, uh, uh, comics owe him so much. I think uh, Robin Williams and Andy Kaufman did two fundraising shows for Bud. They came out and performed, and it gave him money to, to get going again. Yeah, And uh, wow. the, the main showroom had burned down. They made a smaller showroom while they rebuilt things, and they got it going again. But by this time, the comedies, uh, there had been the big comedy strike, and... The comedy store and the improv, they had to start paying the comics, and they So did. this is about 1979 when it burned. 1980, yeah. you know, around that time. And so then you got into the comedy boom and these, you know, big comics, big stars. By the time I got out there, you know, it was the place to be seen, the improv. And it was rebuilt same spot on Melrose. Yes. 
correct. And it, yeah, was, okay. it was real nice. You know, a big club. It was just the, the stage, the brick wall, the restaurant, the bar. I mean, you'd walk in at night. You didn't know who. Bud would have a big round table in the corner. You'd go back there sitting. There could be Rodney Dangerfield. There could be Bill Maher. could be Jerry Seinfeld. You know, they're all sitting there. And then the other ones, I'd look around the room. Who's eating dinner? It's all like the writers from all these sitcoms and all these comics I knew from New York. And at the bar, there'd be people up there with their scripts and everything. And then the show... You know, you didn't know who was going to walk on stage. And it was just tremendous, tremendous. It's like a comedy country club. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> a good way to put it. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, you know, it's like you're hanging around, you're you're bouncing ideas around. There's probably people, you know, trying out material. It's like, is that working? Even though a comedian might be a bad uh, a bad audience. And there's probably some joke stealing. We all know what happened with, uh, you know, some of that that was happening. And people are accused of that. You know, Carrot Top, when he first started out, he told me, he wanted to be George Carlin. Yeah, yeah. And he said, when he go on stage, the first time he went on stage, he goes, here's one from George Carlin. And he would do a Carlin joke. And when he got off, the club managers came over and said, hey, you can't do someone else's jokes. Yeah, dude, and he what said, are you doing? He said, I thought it was like being in a cover band. You know, I'm doing, here's a, here's a hit song. He said, no, you got to have your own material. What year did was it approached to Bud, the concept of um, licensing or, uh, you know, um, having improvs across the country. And apparently he thought it was probably a great idea because he did it. Well, you know, this is, again, about we we're talking about like the history, the background, the improv. Bud wound up taking on a partner, Mark Lanau, who was an actor and a comedian out in Los Angeles. He was very much a big part of the comedy strike. He and his wife, Joanne Astro, who went on to be a, a manager. And again, two people I've, I've also worked with that I have a lot of respect for. Bud brought him on as a, a partner, you know, really to get more of a hold of the business. Bud is a, very much a, a celebrity. It really is. I mean, he's he likes that. If you go in the improv when he was in charge that day, you got you probably met Bud. You saw him. He was noticeable because he had the monocle. He would go on stage. He would introduce acts. He liked celebrities. He liked the, the center of attention. It's Bud Freeman. He knows that. We all know that. Mark had more of a business sense, and they didn't. I'm not going to say they always got along. I think they butt heads quite a bit, but they worked well together. So I think after Mark came on, then that's when someone, a guy by the name of Mark Anderson contacted them and said about opening an improv in San Diego. And I said, well, like a franchise? Okay. And so they went down there, and the night they opened that club, Robin Williams opened the club for them, and they brought in Jonathan Winters. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and they did a bunch of, uh, they went around all uh, improvs, or they did- uh, Well, that was the first one. They did that, you know, the first franchise, and it was turned out to be a success. And then the others came on. You know, the other clubs, they started opening clubs around the country. But the big thing that did that for them, too, was the television show A&E's An Evening at the Improv. Oh, that yeah, that gave them, that elevated the brand. Yeah, I think that kind of, nobody had done a show like that before. And I want to say... And Bud hosted that. Yeah, Bud was the host. But I think it, you know, the, the seeds of that go back to, I think, Freddie Prinze. And we did, we focused on Freddie Prince for one of our episodes here on What's So Funny. He did an HBO special. It might have been almost like a Freddie Prince introduces young comedians or That's something right. oh, like that. Oh, yeah, that was kind of the, the, the format a little yeah, bit, wasn't it? Yeah, and they it? filmed yeah. it at the Hollywood Improv. And, you know, the, the, it's star-studded. I wish I had the list of comics who went on that show. I'm sure Jay Leno was one of them. That was the idea. I mean, it was, you know, this was the early HBO, early cable television. Nobody had ever done a show just on stand-up comedians. Comedians were always just supporting acts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Opening or just supporting. Yeah, it was never. Yeah. So here was an hour special of Freddie Prinze introducing just nothing but stand-up comics coming out and doing five, six, seven minutes, mm-hmm. and it was a big hit. I think Bud and Mark were contacted by someone actually from Canada. It was a Canadian producer. Mm-hmm. He said, "We want to do this show. We'll call it an evening at the Improv." Yeah. Yeah. But the catch was it had to be Canadian because they couldn't afford 
I think the unions and all this stuff in the United States. And so you had to have all Canadian comedians, Canadian sponsors, everything like that. Oh boy. And yeah. so they did it for one year. They were kind of running out after Howie Mandel. They didn't know who else <laughs> to <book>. Yeah, Howie <laughs> Mandel, the ex-carpet salesman, yeah. stern so, comic. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, after that, it took off the Arts and Entertainment Network then contacted that's, them. Yeah. Said, we would like to do this. So that's where that's A&E awesome. came in. Our, it was just called Evening at the Improv. There was A&E's and Evening at the Improv. And uh, I can't tell you how many years it ran. Well, it, I think it ran from 81 to 87. No, I know it was past that because I was really? the talent coordinator in 92, 93. Oh. Evening at the Improv. I thought it yeah. ran maybe a syndication after. What? No, eighty. Well, it yeah, went on maybe. after I left. Holy smokes! Maybe they doing new ones. Yes. Oh wow! Yeah, because I thought they'd. Yeah, maybe it uh, ran longer. Maybe the initial run was till eighty seven, and then they extended it. I even remember when I was still running the New York City Improv. They're coming in looking for acts for Evening at the Improv, checking out our New York comics. And then when I went out in L.A., I was allowed. I I was able to bring out a lot of the. New York comedians that I knew that were good, ready for this show, mm-hmm. kind of made me, I hate to say this, but it kind of made me look like I was a genius. But I yeah, wasn't. I was just awesome. bringing up the regular acts I had in New York. I'm like, hey, you haven't been on Evening at the Improv? You better come out and do this show. How many minutes would they get? Uh, I want to say they got seven minutes each. We'd have five comedians per show. And then we had Bud was the host. Bud would go up and say hello. He had his monocle on and, and a very gracious host. And then he would introduce a celebrity host, an MC, a celebrity. Kind of like, obviously kind of like a minor celebrity, but I, you know, they were like on a sitcom or their career has been kind of on the downers for a couple of years, bring them back or whatever. Or some cool ones too. You know, I remember that's where I met uh, Frankie Valley from the Four Seasons. He was one of our hosts. Frankie Valley. That's the most un... Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't expect that as a, as a host of a comedy show, Frankie Valley, but that's that's interesting. Well, he was big. He was doing a lot of... He had a lot of hits at that time. Late hit, like a second career. Well, I was very impressed. He's the one I wanted to meet because you know I'm a classic rocker. So I actually, yeah. I actually went back in the dressing room looking for him. Otherwise, <laughs> I'd wait for the, the celebrity host. And we would do like, say, two or three shows a night, say on a Wednesday night at the, and this was at a club we had in Santa Monica at the Improv in Santa Monica at that time. Okay. So between shows, Bud always had to change clothes, a different suit to make it look like it's a different night, even though we're filming everything the same night. I was always allowed to sit at Bud's table with them during one show. Then I would have to disappear behind the cameras because I had the same clothes on. So it couldn't look like it was the same night. So I remember one time I'm sitting there, the host said, oh, we have a special guest in the audience, wants to stand up and take a bow, and they're sitting right behind me. I didn't turn around to see behind me. It was, it was O.J. Simpson. Oh, no. Okay. All right. And his wife, that Nicole. They were oh. sitting right behind me. I've seen it a little bit on reruns or different things that's out there. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you were... <laughs> but, oh, you know, man. That's, that's a little creepy now. In hindsight, it's just a little scary. But, but you know... But we had some, you know, really good guest hosts that come out. You know, there That's were different really sitcoms cool. and different things, and uh, just a lot of fun. I can't even imagine how many comics just owe their entire careers to the improv, you know? I mean, many, many, many. That's why he's so beloved. Well, I encourage everyone to read Bud Friedman's book. I think it's called An Oral History on the Improv or whatever. And he's talking about a lot of this. But the impressive thing is how many of the comedians and stars and important people, I mean, just of networks and things, talk about how important he was. And again, go back to New York Club with Silver also. But in Hollywood, you know, it was Bud, and they just, they're praising him. They wouldn't be anywhere without him. And like I think I said at the beginning of this show, I would not be hosting What's So Funny if it wasn't for Bud Friedman and Silver Saunders. I mean, face it, 
I mean, <laughs> I mean, know? I've heard I've they heard gave Ju- me my career. Yeah, I've heard Judd Apatow, the director, talk about being a doorman, and 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 you know, uh, it. Uh, so many people that you just, and I guess he was a comedian, but it's uh, like you know, directors and yeah, com- you I know, everybody. Him. I remember him around of- there. I remember all these guys would would sit around and uh, wait to go on, and hopefully they could keep improving, and and get good. Well, you know, I think it's uh, Richard Lewis said they used to say that if you made it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Maybe so, but if you didn't make it at the improv, it was time to pack your bags and move to anywhere. <laughs> That's it. That's about it. And I'll tell you, you know, too, that people have said to me, like, well, I don't want to play the improv. But, you know, you just weren't good enough to play the improv. <laughs> you yeah, know, don't there you that. go. <laughs> Again, not so much about me, because it is all about Bud, and it's all about Silver. And I saw how they did this. But here's a little tip that Bud Friedman gave me one time. And he was sitting at his, I remember he was sitting in the restaurant at his round table with all the big celebrities. Mm-hmm. And I had a certain comedian who was auditioning for us that night. And I really wanted Bud to see this person. I, I don't remember who it is anymore. It might have been someone I had out from New York. And I kept telling Bud, I said, Mike, you know, this guy's going to go on. Are you going to watch? He goes, yeah, I'll watch, I'll watch. And I'm getting closer. I said, uh, you know, he's going to go on pretty soon. He goes, oh, yeah, I'll watch. Don't worry about it. So anyway, this guy went on stage, and he's killing. He's doing great. And I look over, and Bud's still sitting at his table at the restaurant. I went to said, Bud, I said, I said the guy's up. I, I thought you were going to watch him. He goes, look, Dave. He said, is he getting laughs from the audience? I go, yeah. He says, well, then he's got to be good. Book him. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. He's got to be good. That's, yeah. That's and and I gauge. learned from that. And that's the gauge. And so I used to stand, there used to be a doorway, a little hallway before you go in the showroom. And a lot of times when I was, you know, interested in what the comedians were doing, I would stand there and not even watch them. I could listen. And I could hear what the audience is doing. Yeah. And if the audience wow. was really into this rocking, like this person's good. But then, you know, again, the improv always had like standards too. You expected to see television type of comedians. I know we've had to tell comedians, don't say the F word so many times. Don't do the, you know, you've got to, especially with A&E's in the evening at the improv, uh, there were standards you had to follow for the viewers. Didn't mention this early. We we always had a softball team. The improv was famous for its softball teams. What was they the t- What was the show. name of the team? What was the, the improv? improv? We were just the improv. Oh, oh I thought team. it was the Improv Rascals or something. No, or anything the- like that. No, we were the improv. <laughs> and we played in the show business league. And I know that started back in the '60s. I think Bud was on the team. We're going way back. It's going. So by the time I came along, you know, in the 1980s, we still had this team. Our first baseman was Larry David, by the way. The first baseman and Ray Romano was on that team. And the other members of that team were all like, they were stand-up comedians, maybe not household names, but they also wrote for a lot of these sitcoms and things. I mean, just very funny. And I used to say, you know, when we had our games, the way you would think about professional baseball teams, how they would, you know, I don't know what you call it, heckle the other teams. You can hear professional baseball teams. Razz them a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Well, you should have heard our team. These guys were so fun. I'd be sitting on the bench. I'd be laughing so hard. I'd just be crying. And I always said I would pay... A parking, two drink minimum, and a cover charge. <laughs> just to it was sit like on the roast, bench and roasting to these the guys. other team. You guys were roasting the other guys. Yes, I mean, oh, that's but it funny. was just so hysterical. And one story I do have: one of our baseball games became an episode of Seinfeld. Thank you to Larry David, oh, uh, wow. being our first baseman. So if you ever see an episode of Seinfeld where Jerry and George are running down the the baselines wearing an improv uniform, that was our team. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great, man. And by the way, Bette Midler was the umpire for that episode. Wow. So they're all connected. Very cool. And uh, one thing you know, I want to uh, just uh, not miss out here, the opportunity to say uh, to uh, to Bud Friedman, uh, thank you for your service. He was in the Korean War. Yes. And he was up on the uh, Pork Chop Hill. Yes. Korea. Korea and uh, kind of a war hero. So there you go. He I was, know he was he injured. Was, he was yeah. injured. He was wounded. So, 
He's got. You, know, you got to say thank medals. you if he's listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of hope he is, but I'm ready to come back. Uh, <laughs> oh man, you need you need the job, man. Come on, come on. You're still looking for another job. <laughs> you know, again, this has just been a, a history of the improv. I know, I Tom. I'm sorry, I talk so much. I just oh went, no, this one you, means so much to me. Oh my God, you're in the you're in the family. <laughs> I'm glad to hear these stories, Dale. I'm telling you, I you know you're in. And you're still in it, so it's it isn't like the past. You're still working. I'm not been part very fortunate with as far as like my workshops have kept me with with the improv. That's where I do my workshops and our shows and things. And I'm very proud of that. And I'm very, you know, proud to be part of that improv family still. And again, I learned so much. And what an experience! I mean, I'm telling you, I would always tell my wife. She always said, "You had this job where all you do is you go to work and laugh." <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, pretty much it. You what know, a great job. Pretty much what a great we job. sit around and laugh. Great stories, man. It's uh you know, and again for our younger comedians, aspiring comedians, even professional comedians that might listen to the show, you got to know who Bud Friedman is. If you don't find out because you got to know the history of these clubs and how this all happened. Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating here. and it, yeah, it's why we're here. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to cut this one off because I think I talked way too much. Hey, it was fun, man. I enjoy. it. Thanks for, thanks for chatting with me. Uh, Tom, thank <laughs> you. I, I had a really good time and uh, you, you had me call up some long ago memories, some fond times. So I'll thank you again. Tom McGallis, my co-host, thank you. Thank you, man. All right. And I'm Dave Schwentz and you've been listening to What's So Funny. Until we come back next time, keep laughing. What's So Funny is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Joan Andrews and Michael DeLoya, producer Sarah Wilgroup, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.